When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast, where today we're looking at an amazing story. It's so simple, but it always packs a punch. One of the things I hear a lot from people, both online and in real life, is that parenting has gotten soft over the years. When I was a kid, they just whoop you. Or they don't spank kids anymore. Or they don't beat them like they used to. Or even that we're giving everybody trophies today, not like they did when I was a kid. Whatever it is, this idea that Our children are overindulged, that we are too nice to them as a culture. And every time I hear this, I think of this story, the story that is called the prodigal son, a story that Jesus told to answer the question about why Jesus eats with sinners and welcomes them. And this is the story. There's a father who has two sons. And the younger one says to the father, give me a share of the property that will belong to me someday. And this is the moment that cuts against the grain of what we hear about parenting today. And really, which is about love. That parenting of tough, tough love or harsh love or whatever it is, is rooted in a sense of scarcity, that we have to be so mean to our children and mean to those around us with less power so that they learn something, that they learn the world is cruel and bad and dangerous and they toughen up and thicken their skin. And yet in this story, instead of offering that kind of response, cruelty, harshness. This is a terrible request. Give me everything you're going to give me when you die. In other words, you're dead to me. I wish you weren't here. I wish I could move on with my life without you, dad. For this young man, the only hope he saw was his father dying. And short of that, a legal death where he could get his stuff and get on his way. It seems like he hated the family farm and he needed to leave. Driven by an internal hunger, desire for something. This is the part we don't know about. All we know is what he says. And instead of that harshness and cruelty and somehow outwitting his son, Father gives it to him. It's the least dramatic part of the story. Imagine what he was thinking when he did this. The foolishness of it. But what does he do? He does it. This kind of love is probably the hardest of all. The letting go 
kind of love, detaching our personal sense of worth from really from how much respect we get from other people, especially our children. And so the boy goes off, off he goes to the distant country where he squanders his property in dissolute living. This is where we get the name of the story, the wasteful son, the prodigal son. And he spends all his money. A severe famine comes in the land and he becomes needy. He wanted to be like his dad, a provider, a sharer of the wealth. He wants to be powerful, but that place takes all that from him. And he's not a citizen, so he hires himself out to them, and they send him to do the dirtiest job they have, feeding the pigs. It's not a stretch to, I hope it's not too hard to imagine how this would sound to a Jewish audience who abstain from all pork products, even raising pigs for sale. The laws that determine the kosher codes and all those things would have cut against the grain of this young boy's sensibilities. And yet he does what he needs to do to survive. Really, everything he's done all along has been out of a sense of survival. These are not cool, careful, calm, calmly calculated decisions. They are driven by his desires. He is enslaved to them. And he's feeding these pigs out in the wilderness where nobody else is around. And he looks at the feed and he's so hungry, he wants to eat the feed. And this is the moment that the, Jesus says, he came to himself. It's hard to know how to translate this phrase. That's the literal Greek. He walked up to himself, or he arrived at his own self. He faced himself. He looked himself in the mirror, we might say, today. Have you ever had a moment where you did that? Have you ever had a moment where you just like stared into the face of your own situation and reality? You were able to look at it maybe from a little bit of an outsider perspective or maybe a therapist or friend helped you say, you realize what's happening here. You realize what you, who you are in this story. You realize the reality of it. As Kierkegaard said, face the facts of who you are. For that changes who you are. There is no point to introspection. There is no point to self-reflection or any of these things if you can't do anything about it. It's just a luxury. And all these events, including the Father's generous gift, including the citizens who have hired him, including the famine, and including his spending. All these things have led him to this moment 
where he has this profound moment of realization of the way his life is, what it has become, how it got there. And that is the only way to open up that possibility for something new. And although we might want him to have some big philosophical, spiritual awakening in this moment, the spiritual awakening he has is that the servants, the hired hands that work for his dad have enough food to eat and they have more to, and they have some to spare. And here he is, the son of the father, the scion of the family. Here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father and I'll say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of the hired hands. This is what he bargains with himself to do. I'll go back and just ask for a job. I've wasted everything. I've squandered it. I've been prodigal. I've ruined my reputation. And all I'll ask for is to be a hired hand. That's all I need. That's all I want. And I'll have enough food and I can survive. What he wants, as he will soon find out, is impossible. Because he is not dealing with a shrewd business manager. He is not dealing with a CEO. He is not dealing with a police officer. He's not dealing with a governor. He's not dealing with a judge. He's dealing with a father. And although we as earthly fathers and our earthly fathers have failed in so many ways, often in moments like this, where we have an opportunity to be a judge or a father, in spite of all those failures, there is still a father above us who shows us how this love works. And so he sets off walking that difficult road back home. And this is the moment, this is the moment that we can feel in the story, or I hope you can feel. While he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. And this old, dignified, wealthy man who has lost nearly everything, he's not so wealthy anymore, runs, hikes up his robes and runs to meet his son, puts his arms around him and kisses him. You can feel the squeeze of those arms the breathless cheer, happiness, joy in the voice. The tears are flowing. He feels what he needs to feel. What this kind of love can help us to feel. And his son feels it. And he still says the lines that he's memorized. Father, I've sinned against you and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. 
He drops the keep me on as a hired hand bit. He knows that's ridiculous. God can never love us less than we deserve. And really, no one that loves us can love us less than we deserve. That is impossible. So why bother asking for it? The father is elated. He kills the fatted calf. He puts a ring on his finger, a new robe on him, echoing Joseph when, he, when his father finds out that he was not killed by wild beasts but was sent to Egypt and now is the ruler of Egypt. My son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, he says, echoing Jacob, echoing the return of a son. And so there's a party. There's celebration. Now, this is the part of the story that maybe we can relate to a little better. There's the elder son in the field. He comes to the house. He hears the music, the dancing. He calls one of his slaves, it says. Remember, not hired hand, but slaves, and asks what's going on. He hears the answer. Your brother has come. Your father has killed the fatted calf because he's back safe and sound. The older brother gets angry, refuses to go to the party. His father comes out and he says, listen, all these years I've been working like a slave for you. I've never disobeyed your command, yet you've never given me a young goat so I can celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes back, he's devoured your property with prostitutes. You've killed the fatted calf for him. But the father said to him, son, you were always with me and all that is mine is yours. And we had to celebrate and rejoice because your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and is found. The father's explanation doesn't really go into a lot of detail. You're just supposed to know what it's like to be a father. And I don't know if we do know that. The older brother didn't know what it was like to be a father who has lost a son. And we don't know that about God either. We have no idea how much God loves us. We have no idea how much God longs for us to come home. We are ignorant of that, just as the two sons were ignorant about how deep the father's love was for them. They did not know. There is room at the table. The father's house is open. There is a party inside, and you are invited because you were lost and you were found. Celebrate and rejoice with God, with the father, because he loves you more than you can ever, ever, ever fully know. Gracious Father, whose blessed Son, Jesus Christ, came down from heaven to be the true bread which gives life to the world, evermore give us this bread, that he may live in us and we in him, 
who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.